Hello, and welcome to Live Like the World is Dying, your podcast for what feels like the end times. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy. So this week is going to be a little bit different, and some of the upcoming weeks are going to be a little bit different in that because of my living situation during this pandemic, which I'm going to talk about a lot today, of being pretty off-grid, I don't have easy access to enough internet to interview people reliably. I'm definitely going to continue to interview people, um, but I won't be able to necessarily say that I'm going to do it every week. So what I've decided to do instead is answer questions, uh, mostly about, well, about various things that I know about, about these things and the things that I'm learning along the way about living off grid or how to survive the end of the world. Um, obviously, this is not in a literal sense, the end of the world. I mean, the world has ended so many times and will continue to end for so many people in so many different ways and so many different communities. And the status quo that uh, so many of us live in and have been relying upon, even if we consider ourselves antagonistic to that status quo, is not doing so great right now. So it sure feels like the end times. And it's hard to navigate that. It's hard to navigate it physically. It's hard to navigate it mentally. And so that's what we're all here trying to learn together. So this week, I put it out on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Magpie Killjoy or uh, friend me on Facebook. I, I asked people uh, what they want to know about off-grid living and about solar in particular. And probably over the next couple weeks, I'm going to go dive a little bit deeper into different topics about prepping and about off-grid living and about uh, solar power and, and other systems like that. This podcast is a proud member of the Channel Zero Network of Anarchist Podcasts, which is a great network of, well, anarchist podcasts, and you can go and you can uh, listen to a, a wide variety of shows on a wide variety of topics. And here's a jingle from another podcast on the network. Where did you get this? Your friendly neighborhood anarchist. More of an anarchist militant. People involved in social struggles than everybody else. People have been waiting for some content. Radio. Show. The Final Straw and I'm William Goodenough. And I'm Percy Goodness. The Final Straw Radio. Noblogs. If you're listening, you are the resistance. So, first question How do you get set up without loads of capital? is a very important question and very dear to my heart and is the fundamental source of most of my life's difficulties right now besides loneliness. Um, I don't have a lot of capital. I do have more access to money than a lot of people in that I've been working for the past several years. Um, however, I make roughly the poverty wage. So it's been hard for me to set up without a, load of, a lot of capital. It's, uh, it's been the source of most of the frustrations that have come along the way. But it is totally doable depending on your situation. Um, one thing that some people suggest that I'm going to kind of recommend against for any sort of long-term thing, unless you're already an expert, is found materials. Like a lot of people have asked me, like, oh, that's so excited. exciting. Did you build your house out of scavenged materials? You know, everything reused and upcycled and etc. And... I love being a scavenger, and I lived for years off of food out of the trash, but I can't specifically recommend it, and I did not build my house out of found materials. I got most of the materials for my house by going to Lowe's and um, buying them new, 
And I did that because everything, because I'd never built a house before. And every time I learn a new skill, I find that the learning curve is substantially steeper if I'm also working with scavenge materials. For years, I was always trying to like teach myself electronics by taking apart various things and figuring out how to put them back together or put them together with other objects. And it's really hard. It's a really hard way to learn. So I have found that instead investing in small electronics introduction kits have done a lot more to teach me. And so by building a house, a very small house that I live in, I live in a 12 by 12 house, it it would have been substantially harder if I was also trying to figure out how to make all of the different things work together that don't normally work together. So I don't suggest found materials for starting without a lot of capital. I built my house for, I think, around $3,000. I kind of, I didn't have that much money when I started. I basically just put all of my money towards it. And I I, I priced it out at the beginning at about $2,200. And I know I overshot by a fair amount. So I think I built the the basic structure of my house for about $3,000. And, you know, everyone is going to have different access and different methods of building, but there are ways to build for fairly cheap. And obviously $3,000 is not cheap. It is very cheap for long-term housing. Um, It's cheaper than a lot of vans that are worth living in, for example. Uh, Another thing is that I think you should probably DIY everything, uh, everything that you can in order to save money. I tend to have this attitude that if something is humanly possible, I'm a human, so I can do it. I'm usually wrong about that, and I have run into my own limitations more times than I can count. But DIY to everything doesn't necessarily mean figure everything out for yourself or even do everything yourself but instead gather together. Like I didn't design and build my house by myself. I, I led the project, um, but I was not the expert on almost any stage of it, you know, um, especially some of the more complicated things like building the foundation and deciding what, you know, joists to use and things like that. I talked to experts and most of the experts are people in my uh, immediate community who have built similar structures rather than necessarily professional construction workers. And I I recommend that. And then uh, learn how to do things uh, together. Um, And, okay, and so the other thing is that most of the costs of, like, like when people are like, oh, you can build a tiny home for only $11,000. I remember being like, how the fuck do you spend $11,000 building a tiny home? And now I understand that more because now I've actually started outfitting my house with more of the uh, the infrastructure, the the sink, the you know the stove. I've I've built an outdoor shower, and costs really do add up. But the actual house itself isn't necessarily all that expensive. It's the it's the stuff inside. It's the systems. It's the electricity. It's the plumbing. All of that, those really add up. And so if you can live without those things, live without those things, which is easier if you're not attempting to live full-time in your house uh, because 
well, basically my life was a whole fucking lot easier before the pandemic um, because I treated my house like a bedroom and I treated my house like a nice little place to come home to at the end of the night. And I did all of my work in town and now I can't. And that's frustrating me, but that's a different, a different thing that hopefully, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of things about building without loads of capital, but that's what I've got. Uh, okay, next. How do you pick plants to grow? What are some resources for foraging that can be accessed online? I'm not going to be able to do a very good job of answering this question. I don't actually garden. Um, I <laughs> I ate food in town and I went grocery shopping and I lived off of civilization for most of the past three years that I've lived off grid um, and uh, prefer that. Um, I prefer living in a society. I think it is healthier. I think it is a better idea overall. Um that said, at the moment, I think gardening is super important and everyone should be doing more of it. And I'm frantically running around trying to figure out how, if I had to sustain myself, how I would do it. Fortunately, I, even though we're all like alone right now and that we're in quarantine and all that, we're not actually alone. We're still part of a society. We're part of immediate communities and we are part of a larger society. And both our immediate communities are going to help take care of each other. And also our communities can help take care of other communities. And that's how we create a society. And we need that. Being able to contribute to that is great. And so I should learn how to garden more. Foraging is interesting because it's a survival skill and it's an important survival skill. But it's, as far as I understand everything I've learned about it, all the foraging I've done, it's very hard to sustain yourself through foraging in most environments um, and if you're hunting, that can help a lot. Um, I'm vegan. I suppose in, I suppose if it was like me or another animal, I would kill and eat the animal. But that's not something I'm looking to do right now. But even beyond that, like there's a lot of people, and we can't just all go hunt. That's just literally the it's it's bunker mentality shit to assume. Now, hunting can be an important supplement for some people. I'm not even talking shit on hunting necessarily, but. If your plan is that in the apocalypse you will go hunt, that might be a lot of people's plan, and it might not be such a good plan because there's a lot of people in this world. It really depends on where you live. Foraging is good for variety rather than sustenance is one of the things that I've kind of heard people talking about, and it's really good to like add wild greens to your diet, but it's not necessarily good for providing your caloric needs. You could live off of a long time. This is and this is secondhand, but I hear that you know if you have a bunch of olive oil and a bunch of wild greens that are edible, you can live for a long time off of that. Uh, I don't want to. I mean, I want to eat wild greens. Wild greens are great, um, and I want to eat other wild foods. There's other exceptions to that, like acorns, and you know, there's all there's all kinds of things with foraging, but um, it's not. Uh, yeah, I don't know it. Uh, it's an important thing to learn how to do, or it's a really neat thing to learn how to do. Uh, I'm I'm still learning. I learn best from people. I learn best from um, you know my friends who've taken me on plant walks and taught me new plants. My brain can only hold about like two, maybe three new plants at a time, so I kind of constantly need new. Um, I actually need to get someone to take me on a plant walk now. I think my brain could really use to learn more, maybe like learn some more mushroom foraging, for example, which has always terrified me. So I've avoided it, but now I live in the forest. So maybe it makes sense. Okay. And so that said, I don't personally know good online resources. I go to people, but I also stockpile some books about it. 
um, I like there's going to be books uh, specific to your region that I think are absolutely worth having around in hard copy or ebook versions on your phone or whatever. Um, I've definitely sat there and identified a tree with a tree key before I needed to find an oak tree in order to um, put some uh, spug pl- uh, plug spawn shiitake mushrooms into it. And it was winter and I'm not great at identifying trees in winter. And so I sat there with a, a twig key and it helps you figure out what kind of tree it is by you go through a, a yes or no system. And I remember using this a lot when I was younger, when I did a lot more outdoors type stuff and I really enjoyed it. And so that's become a part of my life again. And you can do that online. Uh, there's apps for it and there's you know websites, but I, I recommend a physical object for that. What are Okay, so the next question is, what were some of the transitions you've made that were unexpectedly difficult, maybe because of lack of resource or personal dependence? So one thing is hygiene. Uh, I was a crust punk for a very long time and completely ne- neglected hygiene and have had a long series of health problems as a result of that. I'm very used to having different um, skin problems, for example, and I've learned the hard way the importance of hygiene. And I take it fairly seriously now. And it's it's hard. Uh, off-grid, you can certainly do it, but it's one of these things where, okay, so this, this feeds into something else. Scarcity and that everything you want to do, you have to do something else first. So if I want to, you know, like, um, if I want to have a sink, I need water catchment. If I need water catchment, I need gutters. If I, you know, if I need the water catchment to be filtered, I need filters. I There's so many steps. Like specifically, I built an outdoor shower on the on the communal space on the, on the barn with some help of, of some of the other people I live with. And, you know, I remember it was like, okay, first I install a gutter, then I put in a downspout, then I move the 275-gallon tote, water tote over here from somewhere else, then I drill a hole in it, which is terrifying. Then I figure out why it's leaking out of its spout at the bottom and I figure out how to plug it up and I learn about rain spout devouter diverters and how to keep you know like stuff out of the gutters and so okay so I've had to learn two different systems water storage and catching in order to get the first stage of building a shower but then after that I need to pump the water from the tote to a propane on-demand heater so in order to do that, I need to set up a 12-volt pump and learn about water pumps and learn how to install them correctly and install and learn enough learn enough electrical work to install a switch on a 12-volt line that comes off of my solar system. So fortunately, I already had the solar system, but I had never done 12-volt DC out from it. So I had to learn all of that in order to set up the water pump. So now I'm getting the water. Oh, and I had to learn enough plumbing to get, because I set all that up, but then the hoses kept coming loose because I didn't know anything about plumbing and I didn't know that there's a million types of hoses and pipes that you have to attach one thing to the next thing. So then I get all of that to the hot water heater. The hot water heater is a fairly simple object. It's amazing. On-demand hot water heaters are are wonderful and they're actually fairly cheap, uh, 100 and 150 bucks. And, you know, and then it's tankless hot water. So you have pretty much infinite hot water as long as your water supply and your gas supply continues and it does not use a lot of propane the particular ones that i've been using so i set that up which means 
running propane to it and a little bit more plumbing. And then also the physical infrastructure of building the shower. And also, and you know, it's an outdoor shower, so it's just a deck floor and some privacy walls. But all of that just to get the the shower working. And when I finally took a shower, it was amazing and it was incredibly you know, it's, it's, it's my favorite shower in this world. Um, partly because of all of that work and partly because you're like in a permanent rainbow because you're standing in the sun in a hot shower, you know, and it's, it's wonderful until winter comes and the pipes freeze and it breaks because you didn't learn enough about how to drain it all. And there's multiple things to drain and everything. That's what's hard about off-grid living. Um, being in charge of yourself is hard. It's hard to have to solve all the problems that come up uh, with yourself and your media community. Um, And a sort of scarcity mindset is also hard. Uh, And it's much harder for me right now, now that I'm more fully off grid. I mean, I've been off of grid, but now I'm not going into town because I'm quarantining. And so it's, it's just substantially harder um, because if I want water, I have to get the water and I have to filter the water. And so now I have to think about how much water I'm using. If I want to wash my clothes using that water, I have to think, is this worth it? How do I use this water most effectively? Electricity is the same way. I have very limited electricity. I have limited propane. You know, every thing that you normally take for granted is just scarce. And on some level, I've been used to that for a very long time because I've been like living in vans and backpacks and, and whatever. Um, but it's it's still kind of a shock. And in some ways, it's great. And in some ways, it's just really fucking shitty. And there's a reason that we as a society have moved away from having to think of everything as scarce. And I understand that. Although I do think as a total aside, I think that one day people are going to look back and consider the way that we use electricity now to be primitive because we use it as if it's infinite. Uh, the way that we treat power as, as infinite is just, we make such inefficient objects. You know, all of the, all of the electrical devices we make are based on this idea that you just have electricity as if it's just this thing, you know? And, um, and so that's, that's on my mind a lot whenever I'm thinking about how I wish my uh, laptop was not so powerful because it uses a lot of electricity. If I had a small little ThinkPad or something, it would use a lot less. And I have to play, oh no, you know, this is, you know it's like my, my phone uses a lot less electricity than my, um, my computer. So if I want to play a game, I play it on my phone and I just don't like phone games as much. That's my woe is me moment for the week. Okay, so next question. How do you procure building materials? Do you use an on-site chainsaw mill for milling your own lumber? Okay, as I said before, I, I I buy stuff at Lowe's because I know how to do it. Actually, now I'll probably go to Home Depot because Lowe's is being even more evil than usual during this particular crisis. Um, but um, I would love to learn more milling, and I want to be using the resources that are immediately around me. And that's kind of a long-term, long-term plan. Chainsaw milling... You know, whoever asked this question might know more about it than I do. Uh, but chainsaw milling is is neat, but it's um, not as efficient as a, a regular mill. There's a lot more wastage, and you know, if you've cut down a tree, like a big beautiful tree, 
you might not want wastage, in which case you might want to get it milled. And which means taking the tree to a lumber mill and then getting planks out of it or whatever. And then the other thing is that um, you have to age the wood for like a year and, or I don't know the actual length of time, but there's a whole process to drying lumber. And, uh, and I don't have um, the setup for that. And maybe one day I will. And, or maybe one day I'll have to, you know, um, but I'm not specifically looking forward to having to. Next question. Are DC appliances worth it for solar or is a converter better? So it, it just depends on your appliance. Um, my my fridge is a little 12-volt cooler and it it can run on AC, but it's a, a waste to take the electricity, put it to an inverter to 110, 120 uh, to AC power and then back over to DC power. And so I think that there's some loss there. And so I just run it off of 12 volt. I, um, I mostly use AC equipment. Um, I use some DC equipment, actually most everything that I use. And this is even kind of what I would recommend. I use things with lithium batteries. Um, anything like whatever, like, for example, like I use DeWalt tools. I don't, I'm not like trying to like specifically suggest them but i use dewalt brand tools because I, I broke some ryobi stuff because it's a little bit cheaper while i was building my house and uh, and then i buy off-brand batteries because they're way cheaper for those for the dewalt tools and then i find equipment that runs off of those like right now my cell phone is charging on a dewalt battery and my fan that i i run in the summer is a dewalt work fan and I just find that charging lithium battery packs is personally um, easier for any device that kind of can. Maybe one day when I like, I'll wire everything up more properly and then run everything off of my battery, ba my, my house battery that the solar is charging. But at the moment, that's what I do. Uh, next question. Separate food storage setups. Do you have a damp and cool section? A dry and cold section or just one root cellar i don't have either i need something like that but i'm not crazy stressed about it in the short term uh again because i'm not homesteading i'm living off grid but i'm not like specifically trying to be as crazy self-sufficient um i would love to be more self-sufficient and i've dreamt about a root cellar but i haven't gotten far enough to know exactly how i'm going to how i'm going to do it okay next question some basics on solar in general would be good. How many square meters would you need for some basic lights and heat? How effective are they in winter? And how long can you run on a, a laptop on a solar setup, etc.? So the first thing is it really all depends on what you got financially. Um, but for the kind of scale that I'm kind of assuming most of my audience would be looking at, which is not home scale, it's not like replace a normal house's electricity with solar which can be done it's just incredibly expensive um instead people are probably building much smaller solar systems for much more limited uh, electrical use and that's what i have more experience with i've designed a couple different solar setups for both here and the barn and so okay so the first thing is you're not going to run heat off of solar 
uh, unfortunately. You're also probably not going to run an air conditioner off of solar. Both of those things just use incredible amounts of power. They're wildly inefficient machines. An electric heater is running 1,000 to 1,500 watts, and you're just... It's, it's not going to be worth it. Um, and cooling is less wattage than that. You're in the like, you know, well, it depends on how big your AC system is, but a window unit, you can get one that gets down to, oh, I looked this up the other day and I already forget. I remember looking it up and being like, yep, still can't do it. Eh, like 600 watts or something like that. So, okay, so 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 think about some of the the large systems that you use. And think about not being able to run them on solar. Like, think about heat. Think about cooling. Refrigerators can be done. They're much more complicated. Um, and uh, some other things. In terms of heating and cooling, just as a quick aside, a lot of that, if you can, you're going to try and build into the, your actual building. And that's where permaculturalists and all of those people have like have a leg up, is that passive thermal control is way important. And I'm very lucky in that my house stays cool in the summer because of its location in the forest and it's uh, fairly thickly insulated and because of it's an, it's an A-frame, so it has a, a little peak of a roof and I put two gable vents up there and hot air moves out of it. So it stays cool even in, I'm in the south and summers here suck and it stays okay. Okay, so in terms of actual solar setups, you know, okay, so how how effective they are in winter, it, again, depends on where you are. Uh, where I am, because I'm in the woods, it's actually more effective in winter. Um, and because the, the sun can come through the trees because there's no leaves on the trees. I'm actually, this is going to be the first summer in the forest with the solar, and it's completely possible that instead I'm going to have to build a solar bank in the nearest field with the um, batteries and inverter down there and run extend AC extension cords up to my house because running DC cords uh, is not really doable. It's why people, society, move to AC power in general so that you can move it over distance. And, okay, to answer your question more specifically, a solar setup, um, I, I don't tend to think of it in terms of square meters. I tend to think of it in wattage of solar panels. And, of course, those turn into square meters but it's not as much of an issue uh to run like as far as i understand most houses can run off of solar panels on their roof if you have infinite amounts of money um and especially if you have south facing a south facing roof in the northern hemisphere or a north facing roof in the southern hemisphere just because that's the angle of the sun so a solar system works with a few basic components. You have your your PV cells, your, your solar panels. They make electricity from the sun. Then you run them through wires to something called a, called a charge controller, which takes that raw electricity and feeds it into a battery. And it feeds it into a battery intelligently so that it doesn't destroy the battery. Every type of battery has a kind of different charging profile. Basically, you can't just like take electricity and plug it into a battery and hope for the best. You're just going to kill your parts. So the charge controller does that part. So now your power is in the battery. And you can take it out of the battery in two ways. You can take it out as DC power. It's a DC battery. It's likely 12 volt. You can build larger systems that are larger voltages, higher voltages. 
um, but you're probably starting with a 12 volt system. That's what I would recommend. It's the only thing I've ever built. I'm currently designing a 24 volt system and I'm excited. So it's in that and you can take it and put it out as DC power and you can charge DC things directly. And there's a lot of equipment designed for RVs and truckers and off-grid life that is 12 volt. It's kind of, most of that stuff tends to be a little bit older uh, because I think more off-grid stuff tends to be more on the like lithium battery pack type system now. At least that's been my experience. I don't know. Or you can, and so if you want to do that, that's great. You just plug it directly into the battery. I mean, you have to get a little um, DC outlet and wire it to your battery, but that's the voltage of your battery, roughly, is 12 volt. It actually changes. That's a different thing, though. Or you can take it and you can put it into something called an inverter, which puts it into AC power. And in the US, that's, I think, 120 volts. It might be 110 volts. I haven't really messed with AC wiring. Please forgive me, world. And in a lot of the rest of the world, it's 220 volts. Maybe 240? I think it's 220. And so you need something that takes the 12 volt and makes it into, takes DC to AC. And that's the basics of a solar system. If you're just trying to do a really simple system where you want to run some lights at night, say you're like living in, you have a cabin that you're only in every now and then, or you're living in your van and you like can't really be fucked to have like a really crazy complex system People talk shit on the like all-in-one boxes. The most famous brand of them is Goal Zero. Um, I don't have one, but I'm kind of jealous of everyone I know who has one because it's all of those things except the solar panel in one box. It's your battery, your charge controller, and your inverter all in one box. And it's more expensive than building your own system, but it's wildly more convenient. And it's a lot like neater of a setup, like unless you're putting in all of the work to hide your cables and do all of that, a solar system is kind of sprawling. And I mean, honestly, like if I had pets, it would probably be a problem and I'd have to handle it really differently or children. So all in one systems are very nice. Uh, They're also very expensive for what they are. How long can you run a laptop on a solar setup? It just really depends on the size of the solar setup. The first setup I built was a 200-watt system with a 100-amp-hour battery. That is a decent first setup. I think it's been a minute. I think the whole thing cost me $700 maybe. And I could run a laptop for an hour or two every night. And that's it. Um, Lights? Pretty much I just didn't even think about them or worry about them. Uh, Enough electricity to run a cell signal booster? Yeah, I could leave that on all night. Not a problem. But laptops actually use a fair amount of power. Desktops, way more power. Um, It's it's crazy how much we just don't think about the power usage of things are. My laser printer, I just like... I don't know when the next time I'm going to get to use my laser printer is. You know, I... uh, well, when I get a generator, that's the next time I'll get to use a laser printer. Yeah. Um, okay, so next question. Do all the PV panels have to match, or can you have a patch pants assemblage of various sizes? So, unfortunately, they don't all have to match. They have to match voltage. And you can do a patch pants 
assemblage, but imagine a patch. Imagine your patchwork pants where every time you put a new patch on it, you had to unsew all the other patches and sew them all back together. That's not totally accurate of a metaphor, but for example, I just rewired my house from 300 watts to 400 watts about three or four days ago, and I had to redo all of the cabling because, well, because of the panels were in different places, and so I had to make some panels, and also because I was now going over the, the amp limit of the cables that I had already made because... There's a certain, imagine, just think about how much like certain pipes can handle a certain amount of water pressure. Certain wires can handle a certain amount of amperage. So you like, basically I just had to like put in new pipes. I had to put in new wires on everything just to go from 300 to 400 watts. And those are actually even all identical panels. I just like, I didn't have the wiring to do all uh, 400 at first. And I finally got the rest of the wiring I needed. And and they're all 100 watt panels. But as far as I understand, you can use different size panels in terms of wattage and connect them all together, but they all need to be pretty much the same voltage or the same voltage range. So if you have a 20 a 12 watt panel and another 12 watt panel, great. But if you have a 12 watt panel and a 24 volt panel, not so good. And you can figure out the the wattage of a solar panel by looking at all the bullshit on the back. And it's interesting because a a 12 volt panel that's not in front of me again but i think the back is going to say like max output 20 volts which is obviously not 12 and a 24 volt panel the back might say max output like 39 or 40 volts or something or open circuit voltage and what that means is that's the maximum voltage that the solar panel puts out 12 volts is a kind of a, a 12 volt system it's not actually literally always 12 volts that's the kind of like number that we ascribe to a range of voltages so, and there are ways to step down voltage or step up voltage from one panel to another, but now you're just getting into like crazy wiring shit that I hope one day to learn, but is not some beginner thing. And it gets back into that thing where um, building out of scavenge supplies is harder and takes more expertise. And in the world that I imagine, where we acknowledge scarcity, but all take care of each other and live in a happy anarchist utopia, I imagine that like the beginning construction worker is going to be given all of the good boards to build with, like all of the best supplies, you know? And then you know that someone's an expert carpenter because they're building out of like the house that got torn down. And the same with electricity. You know, if, if we have like pristine stuff, give it to the new person because they need pristine stuff. But, you know, it's like, it's like the only people I know who can drive cars from the 90s are mechanics, you know? or people who are dedicated to keeping their cars running. I, I think the same thing applies more broadly. Uh, okay, so next question. Using composting for energy production would be cool. Stuff like La Palme mounds, or capturing gas from anaerobic composting and using it as cooking fuel. I agree that that stuff is cool, and I spent years researching a lot of that stuff just kind of as a hobby before I lived off-grid. Um, I love permaculture ideas. I love, and so I'm not trying to talk trash. Uh, I aspire to building more of those things. Um, the idea is that like, for example, when you have a compost pile, it makes heat and it's cool. If you run your water through that, it makes your water hot. And therefore you get basically free power of like heating your water. Cause heating water is actually a very, um, power intensive thing. 
And so if I'm talking about this like scarcity society that I want to live in, it's, there's some irony to that phrase, but whatever. Um, I want to live in a place where we like think about how to live most sustainably and all of those things. It's very hard to dream of building those things for me right now. Um, So I used to play this video game called Sheltered and there's a lot of video games like this, like survival video games where you're like, oh, okay, if you want to survive, you need to manage all of these scarce resources as this bad thing keeps happening. And and you're like, well, you could build the super fancy, crazy decontamination room. And if you build that, like all your problems are solved, but you can't build it because you don't have the resources for it. So in order to get the resources, you have to go out. But in order to get the resources and go out, you have to have some kind of decontamination so you can build this really like cheap and dangerous, you know, shower or something. And that's kind of what low capital off-grid life has been uh, for me and most of the people I know who, who do this is that you have to kind of build up to certain things. And for example, I want to build a solar still. Uh, I would love to just use the sun to filter my water and a solar still is this idea where you basically like build a box that's painted black on the inside. You put a tray of water and a slanted glass roof. The sun evaporates the water up into vapor. It collects on the roof. It falls down into a trough and now you have distilled water without using any electricity or propane. And it's an amazing thing. And I'm going to build one. And that's actually still buildable, right? But I couldn't... Yesterday, I had to filter a lot of water. So I just use a survival filter because that's what I had, you know? And and even when I build the solar still, it's a very labor-intensive process because I'm not just to build it, but then to use it. And so I need to eventually build one where it automatically flows in new water you know, whether it's gravity fed or some kind of shut off valve or I haven't, I haven't designed this yet, but I'll probably build the manual one first where I have to open it and put in new trays of water every day and collect the water every day. But that is a terrible long-term solution. And so that's how I feel about a lot of the, um, the permaculture ideas, uh, is that I want them, but I can't start with them. And I had a mistaken idea when I used to, like when I used to read a lot of permaculture books and stuff like that, that that's like just what to do, that all foods should be grown in food forests and that everything should be built as efficiently as possible to have minimal energy expenditure, both manual labor and also, you know, electric or whatever. And, and I still believe that, but I, I have a a different situation on the ground. Next question. <laughs> I don't know if this person's trolling me or not. What good is any of it to the vast populace who can't escape the day-to-day employment life hellscape? So I don't know whether this person is is trolling me or not, um, or if it's an honest question, and so I'm just going to answer it like an honest question. Um. For me, cabin life is a step up. I lived in a backpack, and then I lived in a van, and then I lived in a barn, and now I live in a cabin. During this particular crisis, I would love to live in an apartment. 
um, or especially a house. I mean, the ideal would be if I lived in a like nice, beautiful, gridded house where I still had nature and could go outside, right? But I, um, it's hard to live like without gridded power and uh, an internet. And I'm not attempting to romanticize or glorify. Okay, I'm not attempting to glorify this lifestyle, and I'm not attempting to recommend it specifically. Um, everyone is going to choose a lifestyle that best fits them. I am going to romanticize it a little bit in the same way that I think that everyone should romanticize their lives. Like if you're stuck in an apartment right now listening to this, you should romanticize it because you're fucking stuck. That's your life. So you should find beauty in it. And so I do romanticize a little bit uh, my life and I'm perfectly fine with that. Um, so... Some people can't escape the day-to-day employment life hellscape. And in which case, and maybe you're listening to this and that's you. And if so, I want to give you two different quotes. One is by uh, Tolkien. Why should a man be scorned if finding himself in prison, he tries to get out and go home? Or if when he cannot do so, he thinks and talks about other topics than jailers and prison walls. And he was talking about fantasy stories then because he, he got a lot of like people were like oh you just make fairy tales which is funny because now he's like you know so important now that he's dead or whatever maybe he was important at the time too i don't know but um you know people were giving him shit for writing fantasy which people still give people shit for writing fantasy and i love that response i love that response of like yeah it's okay like escapism is fine okay so this next quote is by edward abbey and i want to point out that i'm not only aware that Edward Abbey is a piece of shit, but I wish he was alive so I could punch him and then wish he was dead again. Um, Edward Abbey is the sort of accidentally the spiritual father of Earth First um, in that he wrote a lot of really important books about um, the importance of saving nature and about how it's important to take direct action to save nature. And I completely and, I'm, and I completely am on board with him about that. Uh, however, he's misogynist and a xenophobe and I just can't fucking have that. And I think some of his ideas are toxic. That said, here's a quote by him. We need wilderness, whether or not we ever set foot in it. We need a refuge, even though we may never need to set foot in it. We need the possibility of escape as surely as we need hope. And I agree with him. Um, I could not imagine, I could imagine living in a city and being happy as long as there is nature, as long as there's this sense that I could leave that. Um, And even as a, you know, accidental hermit right now, knowing that there is a world, you know, beyond this cabin or whatever is really important to me. Um, I spend a lot of my time, I can't right now, um, but I spend a lot of my time like watching YouTube videos of people crafting things that I will never make. Um, a lot of my friends spend their time watching people play video games or play sports, and they're not the ones playing the video game or the sports. And they live vicariously through people, and I live vicariously through people. And the thing is, is that vicarious joy is real joy. And vicarious joy is a way that we are able to participate in a larger community and realize that we're all connected. And so 
I'm not trying to self-aggrandize. I don't think that I'm like specifically giving tons of people hope by living in this cabin. But the fact that there are people who live in cabins helps a lot of people who kind of dream of living in a cabin or whatever in the same way that I dream of having a big screen TV and a fridge full of food, you know? Um, and that's okay. Like, and it, I think it helps keep us all connected. Um, yeah. So the next question, a focus on accessible, not thousands of dollars and relatively sustainable storage of solar power would be nice. Battery setups aren't cheap and aren't that eco-friendly. I'd have questions around home scale pumped water storage or CAIS. Um, I don't know what CAIS is. I googled it, and maybe it's a chemical storage system, but I'm I'm not aware of it. So, this kind of ties into what I'm saying about everyone's all connected and fuck the bunker mentality and fuck like nationalist uh, conceptions of survival. Basically, basically, um, the grid is good. the The electrical grid, okay, maybe it's like bad in that it's powered by coal, and maybe it's bad that it's powered you know, and, and solar panels involve um, strip mining copper and we don't have truly sustainable power right now. But in terms of maximizing sustainability and still having electricity, the grid is the way to do it. Uh, I've talked to a bunch of different engineer friends about this. One's a specific solar engineer who works on gridded solar. And one of them is um, my friend Chris that I'm going to shout out at the end of this podcast because I shout them out because they support me on Patreon. Thank you, Chris, Uh, who's an environmental engineer who studies the embedded greenhouse gas emissions of food. And basically at one point she was like, well, the most sustainable way to eat, and she's going to get really mad at me because I'm not going to get this right. It's not purely local. Basically having some centralized production of grains is better for the environment in terms of feeding large numbers of people despite the cost of distribution the ecological cost of distribution than um fully uh, fully diverse you know a fully decentralized food system and i'm going to take that same concept and completely rudely apply it to solar power or to power in general storage of power is incredibly um hard and Um, And you're right about batteries in particular. They're kind of the weakest part in a solar system. Panels will last you decades. Batteries will last you years. There are some batteries, like lithium batteries, will last you a lot longer, but they're wildly more expensive. And which I assume is what the the question asker is talking about, because I didn't pay thousands of dollars for my batteries, but I don't have lithium batteries. So there are systems by which we can... So the advantage of a grid is that power goes where it's needed. And if you have a large enough grid, then it's like, oh, if it's cloudy over here, or I mean, I guess theoretically, even if it's nighttime over here, I don't know how far grids go. I haven't done this level of research. Power can go where it's needed. And that's why wind power works. Like wind power is not a particularly good small scale. People do small scale wind, but it's honestly not very good um, in terms of it's it's likely not going to be what you want to build at your homestead except as a fun project, solar and especially micro hydro will be substantially more efficient. But, um, so if you, if you store electricity at home, you're storing it in a battery and that's the weak part of the system. Sorry, I'm rambling. But if you store things with a grid, 
you can store things with different systems. Pumped water storage, I looked into this. There's this idea, and people do it for gridded systems, and it's really interesting. Basically, at the you use all of the, like when your solar's overproducing, when you're producing more electricity than you're using, instead of charging battery banks, you literally just move water up a hill or up into a tower. And then once the water's up at the top, then you let water out and have that power some micro hydro or full scale hydro and it creates electricity again. So that way you can always have electricity or rather you can store power. Um, it's brilliant. I spent several hours researching it uh, six months ago or so and I completely wrote it off as an option for my scale. Um, the amount of water that needs to be stored and moved in order to meet my needs, uh, just like the math really did not work out in terms of the infrastructure I would have to build. And I even live on a hill and I have access to a creek. So it's not like I'm like short on hills or water, you know? Um, so there isn't a great, super eco-friendly way. Uh, solar is not, especially off-grid solar is not like what I recommend in terms of like this is what's good and what people should be doing for the world. It is, however, what's available to me where my house is. Uh, so I don't feel guilty about it, um, but I also don't feel like I'm like saving the earth. Anything that involves pushing people out into like out into nature is not saving the earth. The way to save the earth is to focus on, um, well, uh, <laughs> learning ways uh, to have population density that don't dramatically impact the earth. You're able to um, reduce your impact on the land by living in density substantially. So yeah, uh, unfortunately I don't have a good answer for you. I use for anyone else who's listening, I use batteries. Um, I use an AGM sealed battery. It's what I would recommend, but there's lots of other systems. You can use flooded batteries for super cheap and you have to maintain them and you have to make sure they have exhaust and they kind of suck. And then you can, the next like level is like AGM and gel batteries, which are really similar, but have some differences. And then the beyond that people get into lithium batteries, which are wildly expensive and wildly more efficient. And of course, like everything involved in electricity, um, incredibly destructive to the earth and to the people who do the mining of the lithium. Next question. I want to power my production laptop and a pair of studio monitors and a couple of basic appliances. How much to budget? So I actually answered this person's question more in depth on Facebook, but that's a decent question as a good, like basic setup, like, um, the production laptop, my production laptop, this is a, a music producer. Studio monitors means uh, speakers, basically nice speakers that produce a flat sound so that you can actually hear what's happening. So my production laptop is about 85 watts. My studio monitors are about 150 watts total. Uh, it's like a 25 watt tweeter and a 50 watt subwoofer on each one. So that's a total 150 watts. So roughly 250 watts total. And the thing is, is that you can't so be like, oh, I get 250 watts of solar. No, not, not at all. Unfortunately, 250 watts of solar will probably produce at peak like 180 watts of power and you have to store it. And if you're trying to use it when you're not, when the sun isn't shining, then you're going to be in more trouble. 
in the end, uh, just to, to cut to the chase for the listeners, I told that person about $1,500. If they want to use 250 watts, four hours a day, um, fairly reliably on when most days are sunny. That's, that's my rough guess. Uh, I'm just going to answer a few more questions and then I guess be done for the week. I'm coming up on an hour. So what is your foundation like? My foundation is two, four points of contact to the ground. Two of them, four of them are on, um, what's it called? Oh my God, my brain. On grade uh, cement piers. They're little like kind of truncated pyramids of cement that joists sit in. Um, well, beams sit in. I'm so good at building. You can definitely trust me. I'm an expert. So that's uh, that's half my house. And then the front half is supported by two uh, concrete piers. So there's a total of six points of contact to the ground. Concrete piers were way more of a pain to sink. But on the other hand, I didn't have to level the ground. And uh, the reason I was originally going to build the whole thing on grade, I was just going to like level a piece of the hill, a 12 by 16 piece of hill and um, put the whole thing in and it took me so fucking long just to do half which is actually a lot less than half the work um, because of the way hills work and so I gave up and I probably should have just sunk uh, concrete piers the whole time and that's what I would do again although now I'm looking at these like footing pad systems where you can actually just like sink posts directly into the ground on top of these like plastic footing pads and it seems cheaper and easier, especially for someone like me, where I have to carry everything that I used to build up a very steep hill. And, okay, next question. Uh, I'll just answer one more question. Where can you do this? And that's a, I mean, that's kind of the question for, this is the question why I didn't, this is why I didn't build a house for so many years. I knew that I wanted to live on a land project. I knew that I wanted to live in community and alone. And that just suits me as best as anything in this world. I want to have people around me. I want to work collectively on projects. And I want to get the fuck home to my own fucking house at the end of the night. Uh, or all day if I want. So I wanted to live on a collectively owned land project. And it's hard. Uh, it's hard to find people. Um, you can, I could be kind of hippie about it and say you put it out into the world. And then the world gives you what you need. It, it often doesn't give, give you what you need. And it took me a very long time for the world to give me what I needed in that way. And it's it's not perfect. And um, But I love the people I live with and um, have my own structure on a communal property. And that's what I would recommend. Um, it's in the same way that it's like wasteful for everyone to just have their own solar systems and their own batteries and all of that and how gridded power matters and that we have a society for a reason. Um, and I, you know, it's like, I don't mind. I prefer to live on a collectively owned land project rather than like, if I had 50 acres and live by myself, that would not suit me. Also, there's no way I could ever afford it. Um, so collectively owned land projects is one of the places to do it. Also, a lot of people, I mean, when you live in a like more rural town or city, and rural city is a contradiction, but it's not like, like I live outside Asheville, North Carolina. It's not a very urban city. You know, there's people I know who live off grid inside city limits. I only live a half an hour away from the city. And I like that. I like having access to that. And you know, if you don't, then you don't go really far away. That's fine too. 
It's also cheaper the further you get away from the cities. Uh, okay, so yeah, you can do collectively on land projects or you can be rich, um, which is a really great plan. And um, I'd like someone to sponsor me into becoming rich. Um, thanks everyone who sponsors me into not being broke though. I really appreciate you all. Or you can squat the forest, uh, which obviously I would never recommend because it's not legal. But there's a lot of forest and some people squat it and it's a doable thing. Um, however, it's not necessarily good long-term uh, or it has very intense complications long-term in that the more work you put into a project, the more it sucks when you get busted and you have to destroy it or the police destroy it or whatever. And also, you know, on some level, we can't all just go run and squat the forest. But we also can't all run and go live in the woods. Um, it's all very complicated. Okay. And so that's, that's, uh, thanks for listening with this new experiment where I interview myself or rather where you interview me and then I play both parts of the conversation. Um, if you have any feedback, my email is magpie at birdsbeforethestorm.net or you can at me on Twitter and I will take it personally because I am a sensitive little girl and, uh, but I'll try and deal with it anyway. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter also and it, or you can tell me things that you like about the show. I'm just assuming all the feedback is going to be negative and there's like all kinds of things that I got wrong or you don't like the new format or whatever. Um, and if you want me to be able to continue to do this kind of thing, um, you can consider sponsoring me on Patreon. I do a lot of different projects and Patreon is kind of the central hub of how people allow me to do those things. Uh, it's patreon.com slash Margaret Killjoy. I put out... Um, a zine every month and I put out, um, music and, um, and podcasts, but everyone gets the podcast for free. In particular, I'd like to thank Chris and Nora and Hoss the dog and Kirk and Willow and Natalie and Sam and Shane Becker. Thank you all so much. You, you make this possible. And, um, at the moment, I mean, it, it means even more to me now, now that, you know, client work gets harder to come by and everyone's doing the best they can. So thank you and uh, thank you for listening.